read the Word of the Lord and ask Him to teach us. 1 Corinthians 16, 5-12 But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work, as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren, and it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Father, I ask to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And Father, as we so often will take a piece of your text and read over it without recognizing it, I pray, Lord, that we will look at this text in understanding that it is God-breathed and that, Father, you have given us for the ages that we may understand, that we may do your work the way you would have it done. And Father, I thank you that we have these wonderful ladies in this fellowship and we have a day that brings to heart and minds mothers. And Father, the preciousness that they have been to us all and Father, knowing that it was from a woman that our Savior was born. Help us, Lord. Help us to cherish these vessels. Help us to guide these vessels and lead these vessels. And Father, as we look at this, we can understand that this is Your work. And Father, let us be overwhelmed at doing it Your way. In Christ and Christ alone. Amen. This is a text that comes to the conclusion of a letter. We've spent wondrous years in this letter. And many times you'll get toward the end of a letter and you just sort of say, well, this is the see you later goodbyes. And yet, I believe that the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, moving his pen, is writing us some important things. And the reason is, as I've shared with you over the last few weeks, and it's sandwiched between that verse 10 there in chapter 16 and verse 58 of chapter 15, doing the Lord's work, the work of the Lord. And in the conclusion of 58, he says that your work is not in vain. There's an implication in that text. It is possible to be busy for the Lord for no reason. Bummer. Okay. And the reason that I say that is because I know a plethora of people who are busy for the Lord in vain. And I started this whole context out several weeks ago is that if you don't know what the Lord's work is, I can guarantee you, you what you're doing is in vain. Okay, and, 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 and you can summarize the Lord's work basically in two lines. Okay, evangelism and edification. Seek that as lost and strengthen that that is saved. 
Uh, and anything outside of that is vain. It's a waste. Um, you, golly, I have seen this. The church is immersed in this on what people classify as worship. And we are doing the Lord's work and we are doing this. And we, and you know what? I, I know groups right now that were planning their summer, quote unquote, missions trips to places where you're not allowed to share the gospel, but we're going to lay foundation blocks for a church building. Well, you're wasting your time. I mean, if we're going to do that, then let's make ourselves a profit organization and go into the construction business. I don't, I don't see what the problem is. And, and, and you see people who get into the quote-unquote what I call the temporal you know, meeting the physical needs so you can get into the spiritual needs. Really? How well did that work for Christ? See what I mean? I mean, anybody here can make bread out of nothing? Anybody here take a few loaves and a few fish and feed 5,000? And yet, in that, what did he accomplish? And he got to teach. But the truth of the matter is, he had to take his disciples out away and explain to them what he had just taught. And I watch people in the body of Christ today who get tied up in the earthly things. And don't get me wrong, there are needs out there that we can meet. Don't, I don't want to ever, I've already taught that. If you, if you don't understand how that works, then you need to go back, get online and look at verses 1 through 4. I explain that really clear in giving. Okay? But, but when you and I look at it, when you think about doing the Lord's work, you need to understand that it falls either into evangelism or strengthening those who have been saved. Edification. Edification. I mean, it's, it's the Great Commission is what? Make disciples. Make disciples. We are celebrating Mother's Day this day. And you know what? Mothers have a great impact on their children. And you know what they call it? We call it raising the kids. And some of them need to be jerked up, but normally you just raise them. But basically it's discipleship. However you cut, cut it. I am teaching the principles that have been taught to me. And I, I mean, I think about so many illustrations of this in my life. Of, of where my grand, grandmother and my mother all have infused different things into me that have affected me and have a pattern in how I live my life. Okay? But you who and I who are Christians are to be taking the things that Christ has taught us and teaching others. It, it's like I remember early in my faith when I would listen to these people give their testimonies. They would say, this is my testimony. And you would hear these horrific stories of how awful these people were. And then they would conclude with, and Jesus saved me. And I'm sitting there going, well, that's fascinating. But is that really a testimony of Christ or a testimony of you? Because if you want a true testimony, then tell me what Christ's doing in your soul this moment. And how did you get there? That's what I want to hear. I want to hear a living Savior. I don't want to hear about the depravity of man. 
And so you see what we've done with it? Because we are saying we are doing the Lord's work. But the truth of the matter is, there are very few in the body of Christ this day who are doing the Lord's work. And there's even fewer doing it the Lord's way. Okay? If you're going to do the Lord's work the Lord's way, first and foremost, verse 5, you've got to have a vision. Okay? No, it doesn't mean you're seeing things. Okay? I'm talking about you're looking at your society, your neighborhood, your church community, and you're saying these things are lacking and need to be taken care of. And you look at a process to take care of it. I shared this morning in our Sunday school class about quote-unquote marriage counseling. Okay? People say, well, do you? No, I don't do that. You know what? I don't do counseling. Why? Because if you're missing church, then you're missing it. I give you instruction from the Word of God. If you come into my office and ask me a question, I'm going to give you instruction from the Word of God. Okay? And that's it. Now, if you want to call that counseling, then I'm going to say you bought into what society says. I call it discipleship. Well, we have mentoring programs. Jesus called it disciples. Okay, well, we have accountability groups. Jesus called it the church. I don't understand that. If it worked good for him, why wouldn't I do it that way? I don't need to hang a new name on it or a new path on it. You know, I get people saying, well, I would like to teach a Bible study. What would you think? As long as it's out of the Bible. Okay, I know people who teach Bible studies and never open the Bible. And you say, what was that? Why? You're doing the Lord's work your way. Your way. And you look around and the Apostle Paul always saw something that was lacking and yet something that was far off that could be reached. That's amazing stuff, people. That's what you and I need to do. We need to be looking around at what's going on, what is lacking in our presence And then what is lacking out there that God has given me the privilege for this day and this age that I can be involved in? All right. And 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 you will see that. But the second thing you see there in verse six, you have better be flexible. (laughs) You better be flexible. And I've shown you this over and over again. The Apostle Paul at the writing of this letter is in Ephesus. He wants to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, which is spring. Okay, his plan is to go up to Macedonia, which is the northern part of the Greek peninsula, and then drop down to Corinth. If you look at really what happens, he ends up in Corinth and then goes back over to Macedonia and then back down to Jerusalem. The whole time he's trying to get this offering for the saints in Jerusalem because they're starving. But his whole goal is to go to Rome so he can get a foothold so he can take the gospel into Spain. Okay, and yet he tells you here a wide door for effective service is open for me in Ephesus. So he's focused on what he's doing, and then he's got one eye. He keeps looking around, thinking, well, "I got to get this done, and this done, and this done." But the whole key is, is that wherever the Lord wills. <laughs> and I watch people who say, "Well, I have this talent, I have this spiritual gift, I have this ability, and this capability, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and and all the rest of it." And then God says, "That's not how I'm going to do it." And then they do what? They get mad at God. They get mad at God. 
You know, we're in the middle of a recession here in the United States. It's kind of funny. Everybody acts like they're surprised about it. But anyway, I've kind of seen this a few times. And, and I'm looking at it now. I'm 52. I'll be 53 in November. And I thought as you got older, things kind of slowed down a little bit. Okay? And what I'm finding is I am not in a recession. I'm ready for a recession or a recess or whatever you want to call it. But I'm working three jobs right now. Um, two of them would make a full-time job. And then the third is still the pastor here. And that's a full-time job. And I'm thinking that who didn't get my memo? But I thought as we lay it out, don't, don't it just sort of mellow out a little bit? And I haven't seen that. Well, Lord, it, it's not exactly how I had it planned. It's, it's like the doors that have been opened for us in Russia. Do you understand I never, ever had a desire for the Russian people? I, and I definitely had no desire to go there. Um, I, you know, I know enough about history and geography to say, hmm, no. <laughs> you know, I always thought it'd be great to plant a church in Barbados. You know they need the gospel. And I'm willing to suffer for Jesus in Barbados. But the first time I go to Russia is, what, late February. That ain't nothing like Barbados. They've got trenches that are sidewalks piled with snow. And you just look at this and, and, and everybody over there was sort of grouchy looking. And I thought, I would be too. I mean, you know, at some point you'd have to say, this is, I'm about tired of this. Move. And then you look at the map and you say, even if they move all the way south, they're still going to be in snow. Okay? I mean, you know, they're tickled with global warming. They want it. But I, I share this with you because this isn't the place. But one of the things that has been laid on my heart for years and years and years and years is I will go where the word is received. Go there. Why? Because when you're giving the word, it says it goes forth and accomplishes what it was set out for. But you'd better be flexible. You'd better be flexible. I mean, the first time I went to Russia, I had an, uh, three days in England. And, and I flew from Chicago to England, London. And then I preached in London and then a place called Sussex. And, and I, that was, I thought, man, this is, this is kind of cool. I can read the road signs. Uh, they drive on the wrong side of the road, but whatever. You, that's why I always stayed on the subway. Uh, but, you know, everybody spoke my language. They didn't have interpreters and all the rest of it. I showed up in Moscow. You can't read the signs. You just look up there and go, that, that doesn't even look like an alphabet. All right? And you're just walking around smiling, and you notice that out of the whole of humanity, you're the only one smiling. Because, you know, you're leaving, and they're stuck there. All right, and then you're looking for someone. My driver picks up. He's got a sign out front. says Antioch. And I, I know him. I said, how you doing? God bless you. <laughs> What's your name? God bless you. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a weird ride, isn't it? <laughs> We're going to have... You have kids? 
God bless you. Yeah, you're married too, huh? Yeah, God bless you. Oh, boy. All right. But, but you, you just sit there and go, this is, you know, this gives a whole new meaning to speaking in tongues. Okay. You're speaking in a tongue that I ain't got a clue about. And the guy I was with couldn't interpret either. But anyway, I share this with you because you have to be flexible. God laid in my heart a vision to instill into men, specifically males, the word of the Lord, that they would take up the responsibility that God created them to be, to be the spiritual leaders, period. And I have a passion for that. Okay. And he says to me in a whole country that doesn't even speak my language. And I thought, well, that's good planning. All right? See what I'm trying to be? That's flexible. If you look at the Apostle Paul, he wanted to go to Rome. Had he known that he was going to have to be chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, do you think he still wanted to go to Rome? I don't think so. What do you mean as a prisoner? Okay? But then last week we started looking at 7 and 8. Okay, commitment, commitment. And this basically has two tracks to it. If you read the verse, I do not wish to see you now just in passing, knowing that his knowing, knowing that his time would be short. Okay, for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. That's flexibility. But I will remain on in Ephesus until Pentecost. All right. Do you see what he's saying here? The flexibility in light of the view that he had, he still understood that what he was doing was going to take commitment. Okay. When I started this last week on, on, on commitment and commitment is I'm not superficial. These guys that have like four sermons and four suits and call themselves evangelist. Okay. The problem with that is I believe in evangelist. I do. But if you really look at it, what you and I call church planners today are evangelists. And I don't see them being thorough the way the Apostle Paul was. Okay? The Apostle Paul would go into a town and preach. And if it was a, had a Jewish community in it, he'd go to the synagogue and he'd preach that Messiah has come. And sometimes that was very good and sometimes it was very bad. All right, but he would begin at that point teaching from house to house all day long to all who would listen. So he was infusing into them, and during that process, he would find the men who could pick up the spiritual reins after he left. And it was his passion. The place that he got run out of quick was Thessalonica. He was there probably about three months, and they run him out of there. But he says he agonized in prayer that he could come back to them to do what? To give what was lacking in their faith. And it was obvious they had some questions. That's a thoroughness. That is a man who pours himself into the book. So he can pour himself into the people that God gives him the same text. One of the reasons that you see so much confusion in the church today on, let's say, spiritual gift or the second coming or, or whatever it is, is there's laziness. There's laziness in the pastorate and there's laziness in the congregation. How do you know what I'm saying is true? Well, you, you got a suit on. 
Okay? No. And I watch people who do that. Well, look, he's got 12,000 people. It's got to be true. Well, Jiminy Crickets, the Broncos get 76,000. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? If you think numbers, the truth of the matter is, if you look at the church in its history, there's very few. Because the world don't want to hear what the church is truly selling. You've got to understand it. He says here that a door for effective service was open. You know what that is, right? They're wanting to hear it. We're growing leaps and bounds. We got worship teams. We got homes and study Bible groups. We got all kinds of things. Did you see how he qualifies it? You know how he knew he was successful? How did the Apostle Paul know that he was in the will of God and was being successful in the preaching and teaching of the Word of God? It says it right there. There are many adversaries. It's just not exactly how I signed up for ministry. Okay, the more they're mad at you, the more effective you are. What? Hmm. Interesting concept. That's what the Apostle Paul told me. Remember, they stoned him, left him for dead. He got back up and did what? Went in and continued his message. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? That's the kind of stuff that you and I have missed. But when you have a commitment to the word of the Lord, show yourself a worker approved. How? Being diligent and rightly dividing truth. Okay? That's good stuff, people. But you know what? You have to labor at it. You have to wrestle with it. You have, you, not other people, you have to be in the book. If you're going to evangelize, who are you going to evangelize if you ain't got no message? I'll just tell them how bad I was. Well, that'll work. Let's go talk to Charles Manson. He has a testimony, especially with that thing on his forehead. that's the kind of stuff that I think that we miss is because we don't have that commitment. I mean, we got drive-through pharmacies. What the heck is that? Do you go back if you get the wrong order? I wanted extra cheese on mine. Oh, wrong window. We have drive-through banks. We don't have, we, you know, everybody talks about, what is it? ADHDD something. Attention deficit. Our country is attention deficit. It isn't just a group. Everybody's here. I forgot. I, I don't understand that. Because, and the big reason is, listen, I had a, a group of guys, and I won't name names, but anyway. They say, well, you're, you're Baptist. So you don't believe in spiritual gifts. And I said, well, that's not true. The Bible says they're spiritual gifts. Uh, and he says, well, I, I didn't think Baptist." Believe in spiritual gifts. I said, well, the Bible believes in spiritual gifts. And, you know, I believe in spiritual gifts. He says, well, we have a lot in common. I said, no, we don't. (laughs) And he says, why? He says, because it also says I don't want you to be ignorant of them. And I have to ask a simple question. Why is the body of Christ ignorant of spiritual gifts? 
Because she's lazy. Spiritual gifts are not hidden. That's not how you, what do you think it means? Well, it's all right. It's listed there. It tells you what it is. But you know what? You do have to work at it. You do have to work at it. I don't understand that. Well, well, you know, I've seen this or I heard it. You know what? I don't care what you've seen. I don't care what you heard. What does the book say? He, he doesn't say, I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts, but I'm not telling you what they are. You really think God does that? See what I'm trying to get at? I mean, it's just it's like, how do you know you're saved? Well, can you really know? Oh, something as important as your salvation, you're just going to guess at. That's a good idea. You know, I, I see the first, there is no commitment. There is no commitment on the behalf of the pulpit to guide to salvation, let alone the congregation saying, well, I wonder if that's legitimate. I mean, you know, there's one spiritual gift out there that nobody ever talks about. You know what I'm thinking about? No, it isn't singleness. Discernment. And you know what I learned about discernment? Usually all you have to do is read the verse in front of it or in back of it. And looky there. Shazam! I, I, you know, I remember early in my faith, I was baffled by one of the great questions of my soul. Why are there four Gospels? you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all say the same thing. You know, and I said, why does he repeat it? And then I started watching the church and said, we need to repeat this a lot more than four times. Because they're not getting it. And I thought, well, what? And then it dawned on me that they kept using the word, if you, you've heard the word epistles. And I kept trying to figure out, what is that? I mean, you know, I keep reading this thing and I don't even see the word epistle in there. All right, then it dawned on me, it means letter. Well, okay, cool. Oh, wow, you mean these things are letters? And then I started saying, well, why are these letters written? Why was a letter written to Ephesus? Why did Paul write to Philemon? And you know what? It was like a whole new universe opened up because then it wasn't any of this grabbing this because I believe this and I want this text to validate what I just said. I can show you how you should go out and hang yourself. Okay? Biblically. But I don't think you want me to. Why? Because it is taking a text and trying to prove something you want proved. But yet they were written as a, a letter. That is commitment. You've got to be committed to what is it saying, not what you want it to say. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to get to, get through to you and I. Because it is in that commitment. I do not want to see you in just passing. Why? We've already been through 15 chapters of this church. This church had some problems and he knew it wasn't going to be a, hey, let me stop by and we'll clear this up right away problem. He says, I want to spend the winter with you. Okay. The second part of commitment 
And I kind of touched on this when we were dealing with giving. He was committed. A man doing the Lord's work, the Lord's way, was committed to his present service. Present service. Okay? I know people out there right now who are planners. Okay? But you can't be just a planner. You've got to be a doer. I know people out there right now uh, who are have wondrous ministerial dreams, but they're not doing anything. And you must be doing it now for God to ever use you in the future. How are you going to learn? How are you going to prove it? See, the dreamers and the planners and all the rest of it um, are everywhere. But there are very few doers. And what I mean is, are you doing what you can do right now? Do it. Well, I would like to have a, a, a Bible study or a home study group, or I would like to have this, but I just haven't been able and I'm working and you'll never do anything. It's like people who say, you know what? I don't have anything to give, but if once I get this much money from my employer, I'll start giving more. Let me tell you something. If you ain't giving sacrificially now, you'll never give when you've got it. Guarantee it. It'll never happen. Probably never get it. See, there, I, I know people right now who have wondrous ministries. They come and tell me. But I ain't doing them. I'm busy. I'm busy trying to do what God's got me doing. I don't need to do what you need to be doing. I, it's like... People will say, well, the pastor didn't call me. I was sick or the pastor didn't come and visit me because I was this or you didn't send me a card or you missed my birthday or I seen you downtown and you were driving and you didn't wave at me when I waved at you and all the rest of it. Do you realize that the Bible teaches that it's your responsibility to seek me out to get to know me? It's not my responsibility to get to know every one of you. You think about it. What are the odds? It's easier for you to get to know who I am than it is for me to get to know each and every one of you. Because at some point in there, I need to be praying it in the book. And if I'm going around, hi, it's me. And most people freak out when I show up at their door anyway. <laughs> oh my God, something awful has happened. But, you know, and they definitely don't want me at the hospital. <laughs> okay, listen, I want to share with you something right now. Every one of you in this room right now, there's some of you have been with me for years and years and years. Uh, some of you have been with me since I've been senior pastor. Some of you have not. You just maybe you're just visiting today. Some I you know it's up. To, I don't know where it is. But do you understand that right now is your proving ground? What you have received in Bible teaching, are you proving it on the ground? This is your proving ground. Now is your time of testing. Are you faithful with what has already been given to you? Because if you're expecting more and you're not faithful with what's been given to you, you'll never get any more. I mean, it's, it's, you ever seen uh, farmers out in the field? They make a big old cloud of dust whenever they're plowing, right? 
But the truth of the matter is, what are they doing? Making a big old cloud of dust. There's nothing growing. You ever really saw what a, a farmer grows? A farmer doesn't grow nothing. The seed does it. But he makes a whole bunch of dirt and dust, doesn't he? And you would think, wow. And the truth of the matter is, if God don't make it rain, what did he accomplish? He stirred up a bunch of dust. There are a bunch of people in the body of Christ today who are stirring up a bunch of dust and there ain't no fruit. But if you look at them, there's a lot of dust. And I watch Christians who are not faithful to prove what they're already got. What have you been exposed to? What has God graced you with? Every one of us has been presented the word of the Lord. How many Christians do you suppose in this room right now can say they've read the Bible from cover to cover? Don't raise your hands because the other people will be like, I don't even know what Malachi is. Ain't that the Italian prophet? Malachi? I see Christians today who believe that they're just going to be dropped out of heaven and they're ready. It'll never happen. It'll never happen. Because when God throws you into the fire with many adversaries, you'd better be a proven commodity. If not, you'll be roadkill. I see Christians who walk in light of once I arrive at something, then I will be ready for the fight. You want to get into spiritual warfare and you're not even proven on this side? If you're not proven right now, you really want to jump in there? If you do, then go ahead. Don't let me get in your way. <laughs> I'm more than, more than happy to let you go. See ya. <laughs> Have fun with that. Listen, you want somebody with proven effectiveness. You want somebody who's faithful. Are they faithful with this? This small thing. See, you never give a novice a place of importance. Why? They're sitting duck. It says you shouldn't make a new believer an elder. Why? They'll fall into pride. Listen, I have been an elder now for about 18 years or something like that. And if I knew then what I know now, there's no way I'd let anybody talk me into that. Absolutely no way whatsoever. I have people ask me, you got two sons. Would you like to see them go into the pastorate? Nope. Sure wouldn't. I wouldn't wish the pastorate on anybody. That sounds awful. No. No. Because you get to be proven quickly. And you had better like the heat. Because it's, it's like painting a big red target saying, shoot here. Shoot now. Shoot often. And, and you know what? It'll, it'll break your heart. And it does it on a consistent... Well, aren't there blessings? When they bury me. 
That would be a blessing. Yes, there's blessings, but you know what? If you kill the shepherd, what happens to the flock? So who's the prime target? And you know, some flocks are like herding cats. That's why God created duct tape. But anyway. <laughs> Listen, if you're not content with where you are, with what you're doing right now, you'll never handle any more. Are you faithful with uh, little? You know what? When I, my ministry in the church began, you know what I did? Changed light bulbs and painted. And I thought it was great because there was no flack whatsoever in it. I mean, if you painted and it didn't, wasn't the right color, you didn't pick it. Pick another color, I'll paint it another color. Okay, well, what about the light bulb? Buy me another one, I'll change it. It was easy. Piece of cake. But anybody, remember, what is the work of the Lord? Evangelism, edification. Anybody planning for the future um, has to be committed to the present. And you know what? Sometimes it is tough to keep the balance. To look at the future, knowing where you want to go, what you want to get done, what you have this vision and flexibility, and you see what God's doing, being involved in that, and yet being very good student and cherishing the position This right here is what I'm doing. That's hard to balance the two. Let's be realistic. I Now, maybe you're wrong, but I like to dream because you know what? It's not a hard, lot of hard work. <laughs> You can just sit there and go, well, it'd be great if we had this or we did this or we did this. But you have to work at what you're doing right here. And that's where the sweat is, the elbow grease. That's where the pain, the suffering is. That's where you get the calluses on your knees in prayer. That's where you weep and agonize over souls and those who wander away in apostasy. You have to sell yourself out to the present. You have to pour it on right now. Well, you need to pace yourself. Nope. Ain't doing it. Why? Paul didn't do it. Jesus didn't do it. Peter didn't do it. John didn't do it. Stephen didn't do it. Timothy didn't do it. No, I will not do it. I will go out in a big old flame. I don't care. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I am not. You need to rest. I will. When I get to glory, it'll be a blast. Have my own heavenly water bed or whatever. <laughs> See, you have to be diligent, laboring, striving, faithful, hardworking, right now. Absolutely committed to the present and yet at the same time feeling the pull of what is not being done. Of what's not being done. I, you know what? You've got to get a hold of this, brothers and sisters. You can, I can look around the body of Christ right now and I see a whole bunch of things that ain't getting done and that need to be done. But I'm going to be diligent with what I got right here. And, 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 and it'll cause a tension in the believer that is doing the Lord's work, the Lord's way. Once you bail out of the present in favor of the future, you're done. You're gone. The testing ground is gone. Test it. 
How are you? Can you walk in light of what God has already revealed to you? And do you walk with commitment? Do you walk with diligence? Do you walk with zeal? Do you walk with sweat and labor in what he's already given you? Because if you're not, you don't have to worry about more. Once you lose the proving ground, then you'll lose the vision. You won't see what's out there. You become myopic. You start looking right here, and I'm just going to take care of this. You can't do that. You can't do that. See, verse 8, you see Paul has plans. I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. I'm going to stay here. Why? Because there's a door open. Why? This is the present. Right now. There's a door open. And I will pour myself in it. I will be diligent in it. I will work. I will labor. I will wrestle. I will lose sleep. I will anguish over what's going on in Ephesus. Right now. But I want to come to you. But I plan on spending the winter with you because you got some serious problems. And it's going to take me more than a weekend Bible conference. He's been there a while. He's been there three years in Ephesus. He was only 18 months in Corinth. Why didn't he go back to Corinth? Because there's an effective door there open. And he knew there was because there's many adversaries. See, I have a ministry right here and I don't want to quit on this one. Here's a guy who could not only plan for the future, but he focused on the present. He had great plans for the church. He was taking the church where the gospel hadn't been named. He didn't want to start the Second Baptist Church or the Eighth Presbyterian Church or anything like that. He wanted to go to the church in Rome. He had no affiliation with. He knew of some of the people who had been there. He wanted to come there and do what? Bear fruit with them. Great plans. But he says, you know what? I have to wait till Pentecost. After Pentecost, then I'll make my move. He had some work to do, and yet he could plan for what was in front. He could plan for what was in front. See, that's a man doing the Lord's work the Lord's way. Let me ask you a question. Now, we all sat there and we said, well, that's Paul, man. I mean, he was cruising down the road in Damascus, and poof, there's Jesus. Okay? Freaked him out, you know, and he was just never right ever after that. Okay? I'm going to give you two names, and I know you've heard of them. Okay? guy named Stephen, guy named Philip. You know how their ministry started? Acts chapter 6. Go check it out. Acts chapter 6. You see these two men. They step up. They're in the church. Philip. Stephen. You know what they were? Table waiters. For Jesus. Table waiters. How's Jesus? Edifying. Waiting tables. Listen, the apostles understood it. The church had grown to over 10,000 in a week. We got our hands full. Think about it, brothers and sisters. What would you do right now if next week we had 1,000 people? What would you do? Why aren't you waiting tables now? If you're not proving it now, why would he bring you a thousand? Told you this is a message of exhortation. 
If you're not walking in the proving ground now, don't worry about it. You don't have to worry about it. You know, it was amazing. The apostles knew that they need to be giving themselves to the word of God. They knew that they need to be praying because, you know, all of a sudden you got 10,000 people. <laughs> I imagine prayer was like first, second, third, and fourth on the list. of We better be getting after this. Okay. And they knew they needed to be in the word and they knew they didn't have time to take care of these widows. That's awful. The leadership can't take care of the widows. No, they couldn't. They needed some guys to wait on them, to take care of them. Guys to pass out food to them. And it's funny because if you go think about it, what would their qualifications be? Can you balance like a tray? Can you, can you balance two trays? Uh, do, you, do you have like good walking sandals? Because we got a bunch of them. I mean, what does it take to be a, a table waiter? I mean, you got to be able to take the towel off the table and leave the silverware on it? I don't know. You know what they were looking for for table waiters? Full of faith. Full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. What? You know what? I don't care how you cut that thing. That's amazing qualifications for a table waiter. Stephen and Philip started out as table waiters. You know what? They were faithful. You know what God did? Made him evangelist. Philip reached the Ethiopian eunuch who went back to the royalty of Ethiopia preaching the gospel that he had given to him. Stephen saw Christ calling him home as they were stoning him after he went through the whole Bible and one message to prove the messianic line of Jesus Christ. See, that's what God is in the business of. I take a table waiter Full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, and faithful. And guess what? I'll have them reach continents from a table waiter. See, Paul says, I've got plans. I've got a lot of great plans. But right now, my plans um, don't make me lose perspective of what I'm doing right now. Right now. See, Paul says, even this where I am in Ephesus... I give my life now. This is proving ground for me. This is proving ground. He had already been in Antioch, Syria, with some of the greatest preachers of the gospel the world has ever seen. And they were doing what there? Teaching other teachers. And they were in absolute unity of all of these great men of minds of God. And they said, you know, send me Paul and Barnabas. I have something for them to do. And you know what's amazing about it? Everybody was in unison. Yeah, that's good. We agree. See ya. Why? And then the proving ground began, didn't it? He was faithful. Take the gospel. Where? Everywhere you go. Open up your mouth. Even when they stone you and throw you out on a pile of manure, get up and go again, Bubba. You know what is amazing about that? If you look at that city where he got stoned left for dead, there was a young kid who lived in that city. Had a Gentile father and a Jewish mother. 
And his mother and his grandmother had raised him in the scriptures. And here she watched the, she, he, this little kid watched this man, a Pharisee, get stoned and left for dead, get up off the manure pile and go back in and preach Jesus and affected that kid. And his name was Timothy. Why? Timothy was already in the proving ground. Doing the Lord's work the Lord's way. You have vision. You're flexible. And you're committed. You're not superficial about it. You're not superficial about it. And you are committed to the service that you are in right now. Because that is your proving ground. I remember years in my ministry, we would have Sunday night worship service. And I would come to, to, to back to the church on Sunday nights. And I don't know how many times, dozens and dozens and dozens of times, I would come back to church on Sunday night. And me and my wife would sit and wait. And nobody would show up. Okay, we'd give them a half an hour or an hour. And you shut the lights off and go home. And I kept thinking, man, you know, who'd sign up for this? But you know what was going on? God was growing me. God was growing me. And that's one of the things I learned a long time ago. I never study the Bible to teach or to preach. I always study it for me. It's for me. And then perhaps in the proving ground, I will use what He's given me. I have a question. Your present ministry Fruitful and effective? Are you ready? Are you proven? Are you abounding in the work of the Lord? Let's try so that what we do for Him is not in vain. Why don't each of our lives be that that reflect the glory of Christ? If you're saved, that should be your passion. That should be the one thing that motivates you more than anything. Not your kids, not having kids, not graduating, not jobs, not your... Your single focus should be one thing and one thing only. Abounding in the work of the Lord. So that I will be ready and proven for whatever task He lays in before me. Whole time I've got a vision that says this all has to be done, but I am diligent and committed to what I'm doing here right now, and I'm not going to do it superficially. I am going to do all things as unto the Lord. It's funny because we'll do that when we're at work, but when it comes to doing His work, are we doing it as unto the Lord? Or are we just doing it as to get through it? Apostle Paul had this thing figured out. And, and I'll tell you, it's hard. The, the balance is difficult. The balance is difficult to be looking here saying, this is my passion. This is what the Lord has laid in my heart. This is what I have been prepared for. This is what I'm pouring myself out in. This is what I'm going to overdo. And at the same time saying, but I also need to do this. It's hard. But you know what? 
He says that all authority on heaven and earth has been given unto Him. And He is with you always. Even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. And Lord, I praise You that uh, You, in Your existence uh, and, and in Your incarnation, showed us commitment. When uh, your word tells us that you set your face toward Jerusalem like a flint. Nothing was going to stop you. Father, there are many adversaries. Oh, Lord, so many adversaries. Sometimes, Lord, we are our own adversary. Father, help us to have this victory. Father, your grace is sufficient. Your mercies are new every day. And Father, you have given us for such a time as this, we, your children, to walk to the glory of the risen King in the power of the resurrection with the hope of Christ and Christ alone that we may, Father, bring glory to your kingdom. And that, Father, our work, our labor, our sweat, our toil, will not be empty, but bear much fruit, effective fruit, to your glory, to your praise, in Christ's name, amen.